Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Rich Friends. This week, I sat down with the super talented Rachel David. She is not only an entrepreneur, but enjoys sharing her knowledge she's learned along the way through her many social media channels by educating others on the things she wished she knew earlier. Basically, Rachel and I talk all about her journey from coming from Vancouver to Toronto to pursue her dreams in the broadcast world. She really shows kind of what it took to, you know, hustle in those beginning phases and, you know, think outside of the box and get creative as it comes to approaching different people in her industry. So if that interests you and you're kind of looking to break into something new and you're not really sure how to approach it, Rachel has a lot of great tips. Right now, Rachel is the CEO of Hashtag Communications, one of the biggest marketing agencies in Toronto. She is super smart, super talented. So I know you guys will get a lot out of this episode. Her and I met through doing a project together in Los Angeles and we were both from Toronto. So when I was home for quarantine, I was able to see her and it was awesome. So yeah, please enjoy this interview. We're sitting in your amazing spot right now. It's so nice. We're being like COVID safe. You know, I'm really happy that you've been able to do this in a safe, calm way. No, for sure. It's a whole new world, especially somebody who runs a business. It it has been really interesting to see how I'm able to maneuver, even doing things like this, when it used to be such a big part of my life was speaking or doing interviews. And now it's very few and far between. Do you mind just taking some time to maybe explain a little bit about your company, um, what you guys do, and just, you know, just a little bit more there? For sure. So I started this company called Hashtag Communications six years ago, but I did go get the name like I think it must have been like t- over 10. Um, when I used to have a little social media company, I was like, hashtag, that makes sense. So I went to the government and got that. Thankfully, it's not like, you know, a, a word that I just despise now. There are some like words I'm like, oh, that would be so cringe if I had that. Like, uh, I'm not going to go in because I know some companies are <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I feel bad. Um, but yeah, no. So I got the name and then um, did really nothing with it. I, I, I had a little social media company for like six months to a year. And then I was working broadcasting and, you know, I didn't really resurrect the company until six years ago. And I, I, started doing some influencer marketing before it was really popular. And it was really just a a matter of helping my friends that were YouTubers get brand deals because all the advertising dollars were mainly going towards um, broadcast networks and television shows and radio. And it's great. Like I, I love all those things, but it just seemed like, oh my God, but like these people could sell. Like it was crazy to me. And so, yeah, I started working with brands like RBC and Best Buy and Loblaws. And it was, it was a pretty wild experience, especially in my mid-20s. And now the company has expanded into, we have a consulting arm. So, you know, if I go and speak somewhere, often people go, well, can you help me, you know, build my YouTube channel? And I'm like, that's not me, but I have one of the best people to do it that actually will grow your YouTube channel. Like you want, what, what do you want? 200,000 subscribers? He probably could do it. So it's like, we have the right experts. Um, so that's one side of the business. We have a live streaming side of the business. So uh, we have an actual live streamer team that live streams on mobile apps. And we've got about 100, 120 streamers. And then there's a social media side. We do social media for some companies because if we're going to do an influencer campaign, you do have to have something good to lead them to. So sometimes they go, hey, but like, can we do like we want to do this big campaign? I'm like, yeah, but we'll promote it. And all these influencers will talk about what you're doing. But, you know. 
you don't want to go bad. to a page with just an egg on it, you know? No. So, um, yeah, it kind of just grew. And, and on my end, I, I then got super into investing in different startups and posting on LinkedIn and giving sort of tips that I have gone through. I've gone through a lot, especially as like a young female founder, that is the waters have been really hard to navigate. And meanwhile, it's just my job to learn everything there is to know about how to structure a business, how to manage the finances and, and and, um, you know, how to do everything by the book and legally sound. It's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's hard, <laughs> like yeah. a lot harder than I would have thought. When you first started, when was the moment that you realized it's gone from just a smaller, like marketing company that you started six years ago? And when did you realize, okay, this is going to be my livelihood. Like this is going to be my business. It's bigger than me right now. Um, well, when I was younger, I was just doing it as my side hustle. And then I got a job in broadcasting, which took me away for like a few years. And then when I resurrected the company, I was just doing this sort of on the side as a sole proprietorship. Like I wasn't even really incorporated. I think I must have incorporated after, um, I, I had a proof of concept. So whenever starting a business, I always say have a couple case studies because that was the advice that I got um, from a very good friend of mine uh, named Anil. He was like, Rachel, you're going to be okay. Like I remember I saw these other companies popping up and, and they were doing these influencer campaigns. I was like, oh my God, like they're a thing and they've got a big team and a nice website. And he's like, Rachel, but you have the relationships. Like you can actually do it. And he's like, all you got to do is create a couple case studies. And so I remember, I think it was... I remember RBC was definitely one of them. They were one of the first. I can't remember what the other one was, but I had a couple case studies finally. And once I had that, it was like, okay, now incorporate, like now you have the proof of concept and you know what you're selling. So anybody asks, oh, what do you do? It's like, yep, well, this is what I can show you. And the good thing was, is it was such a new industry. So it wasn't like anyone could really say, oh, but you only have, you know, you have two case studies, but yeah. But like who else has two case studies, yeah. you know? So, so it was, it was a timing thing too. Yeah, no, definitely. It sounds like you got in in like the perfect moment. Um, did you guys ever have like a sales team that really like, you know, reached out to other companies or was it just you based on your experience, based on your connections and you kind of led that like ship forward? Yeah. I've never had a salesperson, which is so wow. insane. Like I, even to this day, I don't, I don't have any salespeople. I, I I mean, I don't I don't really know how I well, I do and I don't. It's like I think people, especially like with small companies or even agencies, it's like, really? If you've got a project to do, you just want to call them. Like I've called you being like, hey, I think I have this thing. Like I'm a you want to work with the person. So if that person can kind of do what you want them to do and you have a personal connection, that's why it was so important for me to go and speak at all these different conferences from like, you know, Elevate or the TED Talk or whatever. It was just like, go and do it and build that up because every time I would go to a conference or speak on a women's panel or even go speak to a school, it was like everything grew. And I got so many clients by just them understanding who I was, what I did. And yeah, it it I, it just grew. But I'm also a very like relentless person. And it was even when I first wanted to break into broadcasting, like I lived in Vancouver. I was not what you'd say was like made for TV. And I, at 18, 19, told my parents I was going to move across the country to work in television. And it's like, and I remember my mom saying, well, you know, the world's your oyster. And if somebody's got to get the job, why shouldn't it be you? And I, that really stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, why shouldn't it? Like, 
it doesn't matter like what you look like or what your background is or where you live or the connections you have. Like when I moved to Toronto, there I literally knew less than five people. And somehow through email, I would watch the shows. I'd, I'd write down the executive producers. I'd be like, okay, how do I just go meet them? I would hang out in the right area by 299 Queen Street West. I would wrangle. I was like, I just want to work here so badly and I don't want to go home. And eventually years like after doing that, oh my God, it's the craziest story. But basically I, I emailed this one executive producer and two years later, uh, they were finally doing a search and I heard again, like, oh my God, they're doing a search for that show. And I emailed the executive producer again. Um, we never had met two years prior, but he still had that email chain. And, um, in the end he remembered that email and, um, I had in that time worked on creating like, again, the whole case study thing. You have to have proof of concept. It wasn't like I just said, oh, he didn't answer my emails. I'm just going to sit and wait. I went and I created a little YouTube channel and I was interviewing music artists and running around the city and partnering with music labels. Like I was just doing whatever, like I knew my stock could be, I'll interview you. I'll edit, like, it'll be good. You know? Um, anyways, two years later, uh, he saw all that, that work I was doing and I ended up pretty much getting hired on the spot. And that was the next like three, four years and which took me to hosting a really big show that I interviewed all these different celebrities, had a clothing budget. It was wild. It was totally wild, but I got to do what I dreamt of doing and why I moved across the country. That's what it was for. So it was like when it came to running a business, that was easy because I just was like, Oh, you just got to get a hold of the right person. But like, I also had the background of being on television. And so they were like, oh, you kind of seem familiar. Sure, I'll, I'll have a meeting with you. So that also did help, like building up your reputation for a long time in a in a public way. So then when it came to just emailing and cold emailing people, they'd be like, okay, sure. Like, I'll give you five minutes. Yeah. Know? That's no, that's really interesting. Would you say that that television experience and broadcast experience that you did have helped you to get on these panels as well and like be in front of these? So did you, do you have a press team that like helps you with all of that? Or do you, you know, reach out to, let's say there's an event happening in Toronto, like Elevate or something like that. Would you reach out and be like, Hey, this is, I've done Ted talks. Like I've, I've spoke in front of people in the past. This is what I have to offer. And like you pitch yourself. Um, You'd think, no, like, like I haven't, like, that's a great idea. And I would recommend that to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I remember I, I did ask one of uh, my assistants, I was like, Hey, can you put a list together of all the upcoming speaking things? Like we should probably be a little bit more proactive in this, but right now it's a bit different. Like back then, maybe a little bit more, but it, I think I mainly just got calls from it's the, the whole thing is if you do it once and people see that. So I put it on my social media and I made sure to make a video and make a couple of vlog out of it. And then I would do like, I would really put a lot of footage around it and it would always be filmed and it might have two angles and you know, <laughs> then it would be a Facebook post and an Instagram post. Like it, it was sent out over social media, which because of that, people knew about it. And, and the whole reason why I had even a social media audience was be- is because before I started doing influence marketing, I mean, one of the big things that happened in my life was I was, I did end up getting let go from that dream job. I did take a year off because I didn't know what to do. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back into TV because like the internet was it, like all these rumblings about having your own channel. This is like in 2000 and. 14 or 15, which like YouTubers were not like 
the biggest yet at all. And so I just ended up like making YouTube videos for a year. And because of that, that's why I was like, I, I ended up having a small audience, but that small audience, they got to know me because one of the things I was doing was vlogging. And what does vlogging do? It builds a strong connection with the people who are watching you and they feel like they know you. So all of a sudden, even though it's only like 5,000 people maybe watching you, those 5,000 people feel like they actually know you. And that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe one or two will be your clients, but guess what? One or two is all you need. So... It was more that whenever I did a talk, it would just be put on my socials and and then because I had a little bit of an audience, um, I got booked for others. So That's really exciting. Yeah. What did you learn most kind of about yourself during that year off? Like when you had a break and when you took that time to really, you know, create content for yourself, you didn't have, you know, an executive producer like you would have before at your broadcast job kind of telling you what to do when it was just like, okay, you can create, edit, post, it's all you. Like what did you, where did your creativity go there? I think one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was out was, um, the sky's the limit. And that's so crazy. Like I was so used to living in a world where it was like, you're going to get paid X amount of dollars and your bonus may be a little bit more. But like in retrospect, if you're actually going and doing the work, it was so easy to build like a cumulative income with different jobs. Like I think we live in a world, especially now where it's like, you can easily do three to four jobs. Like there's a lot of young people be like, okay, well, like say they're even working for me in a part-time position or subcontractor position. I kind of look at them as all running little businesses as well. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, this is a portion and then you have another portion and another, which is what I always did. And all that together equals a full-time job. I, I just was, I felt like the first time, for the first time in my life, like even though I had such a good job, that's what's crazy. So I had like a dream job. Yep. And I still think this is better because I don't have to like get out of my pajamas if I don't want to. Like there is no There's no one controlling you. Yeah. I don't want that. And even though, yeah, it is more work, but it's like, well, what else am I going to do in my day? Like it feels honestly like a game. It's fun. And the bigger everything grows, the more, and since it's called rich friends, the more rich my life is, but not rich in a way of like, oh my God, making so much money. It's like rich in a way that you feel accomplished, you feel strong, stable, like you you feel happy and generous because you get to provide jobs to people. Like it's a rich life, you know? And, and I just want to try the best I can. And, you know, COVID was definitely like some areas of the business did not do as well. Some did okay. And either way, it's like, I'm grateful that again, I don't have to, I don't have to go somewhere. I can still, I could do this from home. So it's like anyone who's listening to this, don't be afraid of, even if it doesn't seem like one of the jobs is so, it's paying so well. It's like, just look at the lifestyle it will be able to contribute to and the freedom and the time it will give you as well. Um, I think that's like one of the biggest thing is, is also factoring in your time and, um, and, as long as your time, it still feels like yours, you know, you could be working on, you know, inserting some data, whatever it is, but you know, you could also have a show on in the back or have your music on. Like as long as you can enjoy your time, that's what's most important. I completely agree. Yeah, no, I completely agree. When you were in that kind of 
area where it was unknown, you saw sky's the limit. Where do you think that that mindset comes from? I think because both my parents never put a value on things. They're, they're artists that I would travel with as a kid. Like they would go to shows and they would make jewelry. And so it was like porcelain and glass beads. My mom would put it together. They would both go sell it at the art shows. And I lived a totally unconventional life, like in an art studio. There was literally a kiln outside, a glass bead room, you know, mom's in the studio. And, and they just showed me like, things will change. And like all of a sudden eBay came around. So they stopped selling at shows, started selling on eBay. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And they just kind of figured it out. And it was never like, they just never put a value on, on things or money. I've seen what a beautiful life people can live on with very little if they're resourceful. And, you know, like my parents, they, my dad gardens, my mom cooks, like, they, I, I think I ate better than I've, I remember I went to Blue Hill in New York and I spent so much money on this meal to take my friend out because he let me stay at his place in New York. And I was like, it's so expensive. So like, instead of paying for a hotel, I'll take you to a really nice dinner. And you know, this guy was, was, was so famous and on chef's table. And I remember eating the food and I'm like, oh my God, like my mom's is better because my dad would grow it in the garden and she would, you know, they, they took all the steps to make the food delicious. But again, for them, it wasn't about, oh, I have to make all this money because guess what they had? Time. Yeah. Uh, I think I just really got a good lesson in what's important in life. Yeah. It's funny. I had that very same lesson as well. And I had it when my dad, he used to, he was flipping homes. So growing up, my dad used to flip homes and we would go a year or two living in a brand new house that he just flipped. And then he, we'd live in it for a year, maybe six months, depending on how long we lived in it for. And then after that, we would go live at my grandma's and we would be all four of us in my grandma's small home. And it would just be like, okay, now you share a room with your brother. And so you just went and lived in like a beautiful home, but you know what? That's, you're not actually entitled to that. This is like our, our way of living. And so you're going to now go move, be with your grand your grandma's place. We're all going to be in a smaller place. And that's just it. And I didn't get attached to any items because every single move we'd be getting rid of stuff. So I never was like, oh, this is my favorite couch. This is my favorite like bedside table. It'd be like, I didn't even care about any of that because it was like, we're moving all the time. None of these material things matter. It can come and go. You can have a beautiful walk-in closet today, but then tomorrow you could be in the same bedroom as your brother and there's a small closet and you have a shoe rack and that's it. Like that was always how I grew up in this crazy, like, you know, my friends would come over and be like, where do you live now? Because we have no idea. (laughs) Well, you know what that taught you and which is one of the most important things I think you need as an entrepreneur is how to adapt. Adapt is the word. Yeah. At least like I always think I'm like, Rachel, if you're ever getting into a place where you're like, oh, I can't do this. I don't want to do it. It's like you can adapt. You can adapt. And it's you having to go through that experience forced you to be like, okay, well, all these different environments, you know, in business, I, my main revenue driver is not what it was six years ago. And that is okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I I think I struggled a little bit at one point being like, well, you know, oh my God, I'm failing at that thing. Why, why don't I have a campaign to do? Why am I not doing this? And, and then, but then it's like, well, cause you're getting pushed in another direction and that's okay. Which is another thing to note. If you're ever going to like name a company something, 
I would try to make it a little bit broad because your company most likely is going to change over time. So instead of saying like, oh, it's just, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know why, like lighting came. I'm like, oh, you know, Rachel's lighting. Because it's like you can only then do Rachel's lighting, you know. Yeah. Whereas being like hashtag communications, I know anything. it's an agency. But, and the agency could do anything. We could do PR. We could be doing uh, gifting. We could do videos, whatever it is. Like there's so many – it could change into a podcasting company if I really wanted to. Like it, there's so much room to grow. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely – uh, consider that because that's not something that I considered when I launched everything, but I'm I'm happy about it now. Where did you see the industry change and what did it feel like when it was pushing you in a different direction? Like, how did that feel to be like, oh, was it just there's more opportunity over here and you seize that opportunity? Was that kind of the main, the main thing? Yeah. I mean, it, it was so simple. It was just like, oh, we're not getting booked for this thing. Okay. And, but we're getting booked for this. And I tried not to think about it too much until one day I woke up being like, oh, is that even like a part of our business anymore? Like, okay. Um, But I also think that industries change so quickly. And again, it's not getting too attached to things. Uh, Your interests also change. So it's like, it's not a bad thing. It was just kind of a moment where I'm like, oh, um, that's interesting that my main focus is actually shifting a bit and but like ultimately i'm i'm happy about it it's it's i don't think i would want to be doing the same thing over and over and over like i was getting a little bit bored anyways so mm-hmm. i i think it's just surprising because businesses in general like i, I don't i don't know i always feel like it's the beginning of the end it's, it's such a strange like even though i'm i'm happy and i'm okay and things are stable i always am like living each day like Okay, but tomorrow, like everything could go away because I've seen that in different departments happen where it's like you've got certain projects and then that's just like maybe not a department that is going to grow for six months. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh, do we even do that anymore? Like it's very interesting. So just really not getting attached to to any industry or any any one specific work that you do. Yeah. That make that makes a lot of sense. Has your like leadership style um, or just approach to things really changed since COVID has happened? Like, have you had to step in and you know change your approach at all, or have you been able to kind of run things as they've been happening? Because before, I know you were doing things remote as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been remote. Again, I built a company and I based off of the idea that I I it was a lifestyle choice. It wasn't um, like, oh, I have to do this one job because I love doing it so much. It was like, no, I love the the life it's going to create. And I like doing what I'm doing. But it was always like, I mean, I, I'm immune compromised and going into an office all the time. I was exhausted. I wasn't sleeping a lot. Like I, a lot of germs, a lot of people, I was just like, oh, I hate this. Like it doesn't feel like my life, you know? So... I intentionally started the company um, remotely. And so, yeah, like when COVID came, it it didn't change too much. Um, There's like all these boundaries with like being a a boss and and also like how you treat your staff. And I was always told like you have to create certain boundaries. But you also like I've come to terms that like I'm there as a figure in a lot of these because we have 90% women and a lot of them are young, like under 25. So it's like, I'm like a figure in their life of like a big sister. And to realize like, oh, wow, I'm such a big part of these women's lives. And 
what the hell? Like you're telling me not to care, like, like to draw a line. So I establish boundaries. Like I can tell them if I need to have a boundary, like, Hey, don't text me at a certain time. And if they didn't get that, that's weird. And that's not the type of people they are. So it's like, yes, if they need me, like come sleep over, like I'm here for you, you know? So I think that truly treating people with kindness and care and open communication, like it really, it goes a long way. And I've seen a few women that, that are in like leadership positions at the company just, I'm so proud of them. Like, holy crap. I sometimes go to sleep. I'm like, holy crap there. I'm so lucky. Like, and they know that and I tell them. And, and so it's, yeah, it, I, I don't know if that's like really changing my leadership style, but I would say that in, in general, it's a little bit um, warmer. Working in a company with mostly women then too, I think that's also kind of, you create that culture and you create that, you know, warm energy, you know what I mean? So I think like, and two, like you, you went from working in an environment, what was it like when you were in broadcast? Like was the dynamic 50, 50 men, women split, or what would you say like that was like? No, it was, it was like 90% men. Oh really? And, um, so you switched it. You were 90% men. Now my next company, we're going 90% women. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was like, it was a different time also when I was there. Like I know now as it's, yeah, like I'm not going to, you know, put blame on anybody or call anybody out, but like, I understand where my value was derived from. And a lot of it was because of the way I looked and, um, there were conversations made about, you know, just my appearance and understanding what my role was even within the company and how I was able to serve the bigger picture, which is essentially making a lot of money for, um, for the higher ups. And, um, I think I, I think I just took a step back and like, I have no hate towards any, like I friggin' am so grateful. Like that's, that's all I feel. I just know there was some sort of like, it it is kind of shitty to feel objectified as a woman. And like, hey, I got myself into it. Like that was what I went for. It was my choice, but it's not until you like grow up a bit and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of shitty to feel like, you know, you're only going to be okay if you maintain your looks too. Um, And yeah, like actually one of my managers came over the other day and he said, you know, you outworked everybody. And I don't know if it was everybody because there was a couple of people that I thought were really great, but he said you were a force to be reckoned with when it came to your work ethic. And I was like, wow, that really means a lot because I wasn't even sure if that was even, re- even recognized, you know? Wow. Um, and, and yeah, I flipped it around. I have all these women around me, but I, I do like women do make less. Women do need more opportunities. Women do need to feel more of their self-worth derived from what they're saying and thinking rather than the way that they look. And unfortunately there's, there's even now, like with Instagram and everything, it's just like, I don't know what kind of world we're, we're getting deeper and deeper into and the insecurities that women are going to be facing. But I can only hope that if more women are speaking up about, that's why, even though my money does not, or like there's no money generated from putting out LinkedIn videos, not really, like maybe one or two gigs here and there, but it's like for the amount of work that goes into it it's like, it wouldn't make sense. They'd be like, why do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know if you noticed, but if you go to my Instagram, you will not as of late see any like really like pictures of me. Like it's since videos. COVID. Yeah. It's all videos. And the reason is I'm like, why do I want to just like feed in to 
other women just like seeing, oh, look, she has a little waist. Cute. Like what? Like I don't, it doesn't matter. What matters is like maybe an experience or like a tip that I found out that I want to share with you. Like how do I actually just like add value to your life? Doesn't mean you can't look presentable, have your makeup nice and whatever. If you want to look good when you go on camera, that's fine. But why am I just going to like post a picture being like Sunday fun day and like you know, Photoshop my ass. Like it's stupid. Like, but that's the world that we're going towards. And I just need to like be conscious of what I'm putting out there. And, and I don't want, I'd rather give people, if I'm going to use a platform, like use it to actually share things that I've gone through or people who screwed me over or like manipulation tactics that women especially should look out for. Oh my God. There have been so many things that I could have been in very big trouble if I just, if I didn't know certain things. So I try to share that. And I think that you're working now on a new, you're working in a way right now where it's like before you had like, and I hate to say this, but for women in that industry, it feels like you have like an expiration date. Like, okay, after you, let's say you hit 40 or 45 or 50, whatever it is, you're probably not going to be like the face of this broadcast company anymore either way. Like, doesn't matter how hard you work. Doesn't matter as you get older, you get smarter. It doesn't matter about any of that. It's like when you hit a certain age, mm, we got to recycle you for someone new. Whereas you're owning this company now. And as you continue to grow in it, and obviously you're doing like amazing in it. And as that continues, it's going to be like, well, it's only going to get better and better and better. There's no expiration date here, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. And I think that that's something when I see like women who are running their own businesses, I'm like, wow, I'm so happy about this. And I'm happy that you're actually in a position where your skills can like accumulate over time and you're just going to get better and better because that's what happens to men. It is a hard balance though, because on the flip side, I'll go, well, if you're a young, beautiful woman and you're smart and you know how to strategize and you use what you've got to your advantage, because I even think of like some of our streamers, it's like some of them want to be sexy. Some of them want to, but I'm just like, get your bag. You know what I mean? Like know what the hell you're doing. But, but I can't also knock a girl for being beautiful. And that's also, so that's something that I, it's, it's a, it's a balance of what you want to put out there. But I just, am like, if it doesn't add any value, like me showing a picture of like with nice lighting and me looking good, it's not going to do too much for my career or anything. So I'm just like, Hey, you know, if you want to, if you're safe and you are in control, I can't really judge a woman for what, what they want to do, especially because of all the, the hard things. Like, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of women that, uh, you know, they are, they're all, they're single moms. I have some that work for me and, um, I couldn't, I, I couldn't even imagine. When you, when you first started the company and you first like started working with like other women and making your first hires, like how was that in terms of who you brought on? How did you make that choice? Did you just have contractors in the beginning? Did you hire anyone full time? Like how did you manage that? Mm-hmm all contractors at the beginning, project by project. Well, actually it was just like, I think it was just a a small amount, like a monthly amount. And then they basically would work on different projects with me and grow as the company was growing. And it was, yeah, a very, very small way to scale, but, um, yeah, it, it worked out and, and it also allows me to feel like, okay, but not all of their responsibility and their livelihood is also dependent on my decisions because sometimes I think when you're put in this pressure situation, some people are good under pressure. For me, I'm better and more creative, not under pressure. Cause I just 
I'm happy and in my like, you know, just your happy place. And you're like, oh yeah, it's fun. It's like you're painting, you know, again, feels like a hobby. So, um, yeah, that was just something that of how I started. That's yeah. great. That's great. And so kind of started there. And you mentioned to me like before, like before we were recording a while ago, you said that you started, you know, looking into investing in other companies and other startups. I would love to hear just a little bit more about what that looked like and how you kind of made that choice. Yeah, it was because I just knew a lot of entrepreneurs. Once, once I had been pseudo successful, I don't know how you'd measure success, but like, I felt like, wow, okay. I, I definitely like was able to build like a solid base. And then all of a sudden you start meeting other entrepreneurs and you're like, you, there's places like the Ryerson, like Ryerson Futures or the DMZ, and there's different entrepreneurial groups and different conferences where you'd meet entrepreneurs. And actually, interesting thing, once you invest in one company, usually they do investor dinners and then you meet other entrepreneurs who are there. And, and also I'm, I'm in like a, a couple little communities. Yeah. Then I, I just started, I could, I could recognize patterns. Obviously the first thing I was like, do I like this person? You know, like, are they cool? Can I talk to them? Do I trust them? You can always tell in the eyes. Oh my God. Like some people, yeah, I don't know. Like it, 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 you get a feeling, you get a vibe and yeah, when it came to the companies I've invested in, they've all been people that I really like and they're my friends. And I always say, heck, because apparently the stats like 90% of companies fail or something like that. So they're like, yeah, if you're angel investing, get ready. And I'm like, I didn't know how risky it was when I started because I think my first real like angel investment was at 26 or 27. And I knew I could lose it. I just was like, you know, I looked at this person and was like, he is not going to give up. Like I so I knew enough of his story because he's my friend that I'm like, if he, you know, accomplished this and did this and did this, like, you know, overcame this, he's probably, and what is he motivated? He's motivated to like, you know, build a life for his mom and do, it's like, there's, he's probably not going to let it fail, you know, like it'll change, but he's probably not going to let it fail. And, um, and yeah, then like, I guess it was two years later, I get a call and he's like, oh yeah, it's five times what you put in. It was like, wow, that's great. You know? And at some points I'm sure like maybe today during COVID it's not as much and that's okay. But, um, that was really what I would do is just be like, do I like the person? Do I trust the person? Does that person have a good track record? Um, have they been successful in the past? Do they surround themselves with good people that they could probably lean on if they needed advice, right? Yeah. So now I've, I've invested about, I think, five companies. And you could say, hey, okay, I would like to sell a portion or the full amount of my shares. And then you just have to see if any of the other investors or there's any other buyers, which is a little bit harder to do. It's not like in the stock market, which there's always somebody like every second to buy it. Um depending on if you put a really low limit order and it never hits that amount, but you know what I mean, but uh, at market price. So there's always somebody, whereas when you're investing in a startup, there's not always a buyer. So, I mean, you would, I would think there, there would be, if I really, really was serious about it, but I haven't been, I haven't wanted to sell yet. And I kind of just look at it as, I mean, they they are investments, you know? So just like you would with your house or whatever. It's like you expect the company to grow and appreciate over time. And, um, and yeah, if you really need it, then you can take it out. Hopefully. (laughs) Did you ever get any investment in your company when you started? No. So no, 
no investment. Um, but I also, it was different because I'm like a service-based company. I'm, I don't have any overhead. I didn't have to buy produce. I didn't have to buy like tech or a, it was so different. So mine was just like, it, it was a really beautiful thing because I could just scale as we got more and more projects. So yeah. totally different. That's exactly the same as me too. It was so weird because I had to, when moving to the US, I had to put a certain amount of money invested in my business, like by myself that I did. And it was got, it got to the point where I was like, okay, what can I spend money on? Because this business has such a low overhead. Like I didn't need to buy like camera equipment. I'm like, I'm not going to spend all my money on, you know, equipment and all that stuff. It's like, I'll just rent that if we need it. And then we can have the camera operators choose what they want to work with. Right. Like I don't, we don't need to have all that stuff on site. You don't need to have a big fancy office, which like people are realizing now. Um, but at the time it was more so like, okay, I need to spend a certain amount of money and actually, you know, hit that quota before I'm able to officially get the paperwork to move over here and do that. Well, that's why like even how you mentioned the offices, I was like, I got so much scrutiny for not having an office. Like people were like, oh, you know, like, is it real? Like, And now we're in COVID and it's like, I basically got a place a year ago that you're sitting in right now. And it was so intentional to be a live-in office space. It's right on a very um, popular street in Toronto where there's a lot of businesses. So I had that address, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not like it's a weird street name that sounds like a suburbs. It's like, no, no, no. It is a very major street. You will know it. And so it's that. And then it's like ground floor entrance. So it feels kind of like an office as well. You can just come through, pop in and there is intentionally the separation of I have my bedroom and like a little office guest room upstairs, but then the downstairs. So it's because ground floor, it's like there's, it's, it's like a loft. So you have the really high ceilings, which the high ceilings give you a feeling of like being more creative, more flow. It was like, it was so intentional to find a space that when having the staff over, because it it's not like I have the streamers or some stuff like that. Like, yes, we have like about 150 people on payroll that we have to pay every month. But my core team is like maybe 10, 10 people or so. So it's like, and a lot of them are not in Toronto. Like we have one in Vegas, one in White Rock, where I'm from in Vancouver, <laughs> near Vancouver. So it's like, they're not here to um, always be together, especially now in COVID. But uh, it was intentional that uh, because a lot of the the people that I work with, that we've been together for now quite a few years. So for them to be able to come over and it be open and, they, and how the kitchen is open to where the dining room table is, which is open, it's all open. It's like, I can cook for them. They could be here on a Sunday, which is the day I actually like to work instead of going and I'm not super religious. So I'm like, this is my, this is my religion. Yep. And they come over and we, we break bread, we eat oh, together. Nice. And th- that's what we were doing in routine for quite a while. Um, and it, it's like probably the biggest thing that I miss is just like that point of contact with them. Um, so, but, but everything was intentional and, and I got so much flack for, for not being in an office. And then all of a sudden everyone's selling off their offices and being like, wow, I really didn't need that. They, they come to that realization. But again, that's like, again, from the way that I was brought up, it didn't, it doesn't have to be, you don't need all those fancy things. All that matters is your work and how good you are, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, it's been, I was really grateful that, you know, amidst all of this, 
it, it hasn't been like, oh my God, now what am I going to do with the landlord because of all like the terrible stuff that, that happened to people who have – some of them have rents of like $40,000. It's like, this is actually my home and um, – you know, I do pay mortgage and I can also write off a portion because of taxes. And uh, everything was very like calculated of how how to actually go about this. And instead of just paying rent that goes nowhere, it's like build an asset, you know? So isn't it wonderful to build an office space that can also be an asset? So I think it's just being super mindful of every move and position. And uh, actually in the end, I remember I did a post on LinkedIn because one of the things that I got hired for from the company actually that let me go years later, it was a full circle moment because they hired me to start doing seminars to small business um, customers that they had. And it was teaching them on how to run, they called it how to run an empire on your phone. And it was, it's funny because I got paid then because I didn't have an office. They paid me to basically talk about how I don't have an office. I was like, this is insane. So that's crazy. So yeah, I think doing really using your noggin of like what actually makes sense and yeah. what is at the core of what you want to create. Yeah, that makes no, that's that's very smart. It's crazy how this is now built like an asset for you. And it's something that people normally have is like, like you said, like a $40,000 a month expense, which is insane. When you were kind of going through your business and, and, you know, taking finances into consideration, was there any major lesson that you learned that was like an aha moment with finance? Like for me, my biggest thing was like, okay, I, I, I heard so many horror stories about like people who work for themselves or are self-employed that like don't pay their taxes properly. So I was lucky enough to, I got an account right away that was like, okay, every single time I run myself through payroll, it automatically takes the taxes off. Like I have a system set up in place for that. And that was like one of my like big, like, okay, I don't want to get screwed at the end of the year. I want to make sure I'm good. Like that was like a financial lesson that I didn't want to go through. I wanted to make sure that I was okay about. Did you have any like sort of, you know, interesting moments where you thought, okay, this is, a financial lesson that I wish I knew, or this is something about finance that really helped me? Yeah, I feel like I have like thousands. <laughs> um, uh, one of the best things I did was, um, like you, have an accountant right away and yeah. to file everything, make sure everything was good. Uh, I am terrible when it comes to the financial side of things. So I knew immediately I need a bookkeeper and I need them to be close with the accountant. And so, um, in the end, you know, I had a great accountant for years and, but unfortunately we got into so many different elements of business that like, then I needed a tax specialist and then I needed this. And so you, you know, to start, just have a, an accountant who can file everything, keep you organized. That's great. And like, and then the bookkeepers, if you, if you're somebody who doesn't like finance like me, I mean, I love it, but I hate it. So it's like the organizational side of it. I know that there's, I can't keep track of invoices coming in and when someone, if they paid it or not and all that. So it's like, I pay somebody to do that. And I mean, like I can talk like cost wise. I think that you should be able to have a bookkeeper at the beginning, especially that like you pay around $500 a month. Like, I think that's a realistic amount. Um, Granted, if you have like, you know, maybe like 30 invoices or something like that, like people, your your projects you're billing and then people you're paying out like on a monthly basis, I, I think that's maybe an appropriate amount. And then obviously as it gets more complicated, at least they grow with you and they can keep you organized. I just went through a whole thing because I had one accountant for so long and then I was like, 
it, we, we grew into different directions. So then I ended up going to one of the big accounting firms. And um, I actually have like crazy stories about accounting, but I can't say them. All I have to say is be super, super, super careful with which accountant that you get. Um, but I'm really happy now. I, I'm with a really big accounting firm that's like very well known. Because they're so big, they have so many different specialists in different areas. So if I have a question about something in a different area, I'm like, oh, but like, do you, do, is there anybody who works for the company that knows? They're going to. They have like hundreds and thousands of people that work for this company. They're going to have somebody, you know? So, so if you have a bit of a complicated business with a lot of different areas, um, that like go into it, I would definitely say finding an accounting firm that has um, specialists in different areas has been really helpful for me. And it's a great comfort also to have that reputation. And then also, I think one of the coolest things I learned was just like how foreign exchange works. That's like a whole different thing. It's probably super boring for some people, but in in just very simple terms, if you're getting paid from a US client and uh, and you have a Canadian bank account, like I'm in Canada, so are you, like get set up for foreign exchange rates and you can kind of time when you want to move over money from the US to Canada. And then you can pick your rate. Like it fluctuates every day. I signed up also for the emails. So I get these emails being like, today it's going to be between this amount and this amount most likely. And then I just like wait for it when it's going to that amount. And I have it in the background. spot. Yeah. I mean, I don't always time it right, but who does? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's like investing too, just like regular stock investing. Like you're never going to get it 100% perfect. It's exactly the same to me. It's the same feeling. I'm just like, oh man, like I think, oh, well, if I hold out till tomorrow, it's going to be higher. And then it's lower and you're like, well, shit. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I think that with regular stock investing, like that's something too that I'm kind of starting to learn a little bit more about. I've been getting into. Do you strictly invest in what you know or do you like just diversify? I am probably the worst to give advice, but like at the same time, here I am on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I will give you my, what I'm doing. Um, I, I basically just love looking at the graphs and seeing if they go up and down, up and down over and over. And if I see them like having a trend, I'll be like, Oh, okay. Well, most likely it's going to go up and down again. And so my, I'll hedge my bets on that. I do know enough about the stocks that I've invested in, but I don't know like everything. Like I don't know the difference between like, um, you know, Wells Fargo and Deutsche Bank, you know, like I'm not like the nitty gritty, but like their reserve is this much. Like I'm not, I'm just literally like, okay, looking at the graph, I saw it hit X amount and then it went down and then it went up and then it went down. And most likely it's a bank. It will go up higher because, you know, six months ago it was worth, you know, 30% more. So even if I had to hold it long-term, it's probably going to recover. Like that's my logic. Yep. And so far it's worked out. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any closing closing remarks? You've been super informative and helpful and just like I think this this will be very, you know, good for people to listen to especially during a time like this. My closing remark. Yeah. Honestly, like you just it sounds so cliché, but yeah, just always like put your stock and bet on yourself. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on. Of course. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Rich Friends. And obviously, as you know, Rachel is super smart, super talented. So I'm sure you got a lot from her. If you want to know more about the show, who we're interviewing next, and just also more about 
my company in general, you can check out Sickbird Productions on Instagram, S-I-C-K-B-I-R-D Productions on Instagram. That is where we kind of post the latest on the episodes. We post the latest on projects that we're doing. Um, So yeah, feel free to give us a follow there. And obviously, if you are a creator, if you're in the industry, please reach out. We're always hiring new, amazing talent. Feel free to DM us. You can also email me too. The email is up there. It's just jade at sickbirdproduction.com. So yeah, I'm really excited to keep these going. We're going to be doing weekly interviews and I hope you guys enjoyed this one. So bye for now and we'll see you next week.